I have three key takeaways from this debacle. Uh, one is the SEC creates um, really bad incentives in the market by not allowing an ETF to be crea created, uh, not giving a safe mechanism for retail investors to get exposure to Bitcoin. They created this huge premium on GBTC and that ended up creating these you know, massive misalignments in the market. The second takeaway is that leverage kills. Uh, the, the premium trade would not have killed so many institutions if they'd done it without leverage. Uh, the fact that uh, Three Arrows Capital was borrowing for, from Genesis to turbocharge this trade was part of the reason why they failed. And my third takeaway is this has been a massive failure uh, in the financial media to, to really cover this and the FTX case and to just believe to be so credulous to believe some of the statements coming from the CEOs without really pressing them. Uh, I, I think the media has failed as an institution in, in this financial space, especially in the, the kind of crypto space. Uh, we, we need to get away from a media which really um, celebrates access journalism and all they care about is getting the interview yep. as opposed to asking the questions that will help protect the public in general. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Swan Signal Live. I am your host, Sam Callahan. I'm the lead analyst at Swan Bitcoin, a Bitcoin financial services company. Uh, we got a special show today with a great guest, but before we get started, I wanna bring up our mining partner, which is Marathon Digital Holdings with the ticker name Mara. Um, Marathon is the second largest holder of Bitcoin um, amongst Bitcoin publicly traded mining companies. Their mission is to enhance the Bitcoin network sustainably and increase the hash rate, increase the security of the most decentralized and secure monetary network in the world. So check out Marathon. Uh, they just did a really cool project uh, with a landfill. Uh, go check that out. I found that really fascinating. Um, and secondly, uh, this is your time to buy Pacific Bitcoin tickets, early bird tickets. Uh, you can get a full refund in February if you buy them now. This is the cheapest time to buy them. So go check out this QR code on the screen. Lock in those cheap ticket prices and go to one of the best Bitcoin festivals in the world next year at Pacific Bitcoin 2024. Uh, so the, this episode, we're going to be talking about DCG and Barry Silbert, who has come into the headlines recently. Um, SPF just got locked up for seven counts of fraud. Could this be bigger? Um, could DCG, which is one of the largest, oldest companies, be enthralled in fraudulent activities? Right now, there's still questions that remain uh, in terms of their guilt, but there are a lot of reasons to doubt some of the facts that were uh, pushed on the public uh, during some of the collapses that occurred in 2022. And now they are there's a civil lawsuit with the Attorney General of New York against Barry Silbert, Genesis, DCG, Genesis former CEO Michael Mora, and Gemini. And today we have Vijay Boyapati, who is the author of The Bullish Case for Bitcoin, as well as a senior engineer at Swan Bitcoin. Vijay, welcome to the show. You wrote a fantastic thread that broke down some of this very complex web uh, between Genesis, uh, DCG, Grayscale. Um, I thought you'd be the perfect guest to come on the show. So thanks for coming on, my friend. It's great seeing you again, Sam. Yeah, and uh, I guess it's a birthday, right? It is, it is. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you. 
Um, yeah, so I wanted to start. I wanted to throw up a, a little former tweet from Barry Silbert. If uh, Jacob, if you could throw that on the screen. There is a daisy chain of borrowers and lenders in the crypto space, most well capitalized, but some are not. Lots of leverage still in the ecosystem, including some non-obvious places. Important to understand counterparty risk and where are the weak links in the chain. That was June 2021, and maybe Barry knew, but we didn't know that that daisy chain would lead all the way back to DCG and Genesis, uh, his own companies. And so uh, first, Vijay, what do, what do you make of that tweet right there? It's just it's very ironic. There's also a tweet by Barry uh, to Sam Bank from Freed where he says, it's my turn, Sam, and it might be his turn to join Sam in jail. Uh, very serious allegations that have been made by the New York Attorney General. They're detailed, they're substantive, they're backed by a direct eyewitness who worked at Genesis. So it's very, very serious. Um, most people know the story of Sam Bankman-Fried now and uh, what happened and how he was borrowing, uh, his hedge fund Alameda was borrowing user funds from FTX and how uh, they lost those funds and really why he deserves to be in jail. But not many people know about the story of DCG and Genesis um, which I think is every bit, if not more important than the FTX story, because Genesis was a central part of the market, uh, and has been for a very, very long time. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, lending was really connected to all of these companies that we know have failed, um, BlockFi, Three Arrows Capital, uh, all, all of these companies yeah. that, uh, went under FTX as well, was in, involved, uh, sorry, Alan Finance, yep. yeah, they were borrowing from Genesis as well. So they, they played this very crucial role in the market, um, but most people don't know about them because they mostly dealt with institutions and high net worth individuals, uh, but they, they, they were really the only prime brokerage service in the market. And, and so they were relied on by all of these other institutions. Uh, so they're, they're at the center of the story, but yet it has received very little attention, very little attention from the media and in general. And I uh, did a kind of deep dive on the New York Attorney General complaint and looked at a whole bunch of public information that was available. And I summarized it, also summarized historically, where do these companies come from? Um, what, what's their significance? How do they relate to each other? And I put that in a long tweet thread and, you know, I thought it might get some interest, but it really blew up. It's been um, viewed over almost 2 million times. Um, and I think there's a lot of interest in, well, this story seems significant. This is just as important and, and big as FTX and maybe one of the oldest players in the space that the CEO of the oldest player in the space, he might go to jail as well. Yeah, I mean... I think it's probably helpful if we go back and explain the origins of DCG. Um, it's one of the oldest companies. It's it's founded in 2015, and it's basically a conglomerate. Like it, it invested in over 200 cryptocurrency companies. Um, but really, that that empire, the crown jewels of that empire, was Grayscale and Genesis. And he brought up Genesis being uh, the kind of the blue chip prime broker. So they did all the lending to institutional investors. And then you have Grayscale, which has the Grayscale Bitcoin trust. Um, can you maybe break down just a little bit further the relationship between those three entities? 
Yeah, of course. So I maybe we should step back a little bit more even than that and talk a bit about Barry Silbert, who okay. worked in the finance space and uh, had a successful company called Second Market, which he sold. Uh, and then he had uh, a bunch of capital available and decided um, that the next big thing was uh, Bitcoin and um, the crypto market. He's uh, definitely done a lot of investing in crypto. Um and he started with Grayscale, which created the first fund uh, that made it possible for people to invest through their brokerage accounts and get exposure to Bitcoin. And the thing that's really interesting about this is the way this fund is structured is not an ETF. Uh, so the idea is that the fund would track the price of Bitcoin, but it wouldn't do this in a perfect way because ETFs have this redemption mechanism where if the price goes above the underlying asset, um, then there's a way to kind of arbitrage that. There's these um, qualified participants who can arbitrage that and then the price goes back down to track the underlying assets. Grayscale's uh, uh, fund, GBTC, did not have that redemption mechanism. So they offered this fund back in, I, I believe it's 2013 Correct, uh, yep. when it was first created. And um, because there was such high demand to get exposure to Bitcoin, people were willing to pay a premium to the underlying assets of the fund. So, so to explain this idea, imagine that the fund uh, had 100 Bitcoins under management. There would be an equivalent number of shares of GBTC to match those underlying Bitcoins. And it's uh, multiplied by a thousand. So if if there were a uh, hundred Bitcoin under management, then there'd be a hundred thousand GBTC shares uh, available on the market. These shares traded at a premium to the underlying assets under management. So the total value of the shares was greater than the underlying Bitcoin in the fund. And this, the reason this was the case was that people were looking to get exposure to Bitcoin in a simple way, uh, and GBTC provided them something that they could go to their brokerage account, go to E-Trade or, you know, Fidelity, and they could buy GBTC. And uh, they were willing to pay a premium of 10%, 20%. And at one point, actually, GBTC traded at a premium of 40% to its underlying assets because mm -hmm. there was such a strong demand uh, to get exposure to Bitcoin. And a lot of people just didn't know how to, you know, go to an exchange and go to a place like Mt. Gox in the early days or Coinbase later on and, and buy Bitcoin. So for, for those people, for, you know, the average regular investor, it seemed like a great way to get access to Bitcoin. Um, but this premium the value of the fund being greater than the underlying assets created this arbitrage trade that was used by uh, a lot of funds from, I, I would say, probably about 2018, 2019 onwards. Uh, it created this profit opportunity uh, where I, I need to step back, and this is a little bit technical. I hope I, hope I don't bore anyone, but the, the way that shares in GBTC were created is that you would give grayscale bitcoins and six months later they would give you the equivalent number of shares of uh, gbtc so you give them say 10 bitcoins and then six months later they would give you 10,000 gbtc which is 
the equivalent claim on those 10 bitcoins but suddenly you know the, the gbtc you get back has a premium to the bitcoins you gave to to grayscale yep so there's this market opportunity where you can give them bitcoin and you can make this market neutral trade where you give them bitcoin and you short bitcoin at the same time so uh, you're market neutral. You don't care about where the price of Bitcoin goes. They give you back six months later the GBTC, which are worth more than the Bitcoins that you gave them. You cover your short and you, you're essentially farming this premium. And if the premium is, say, 20 30 or 40%, that's, that's substantial. You're getting a lot of money back doing this arbitrage trade. Yep. And uh, a bunch of companies recognize this was a huge profit right. Community, uh, and one of these companies happened to be Three Arrows Capital. Yeah, uh, this hedge fund, which is you know fairly notorious now, they saw this trade and they were like, "Wow, there's a big profit opportunity here." Yeah, yeah. So and like so, when people get Bitcoin or gave them Bitcoin, they would the shares would get locked up for six months, and that's when they would put on the short position, and then they receive the shares at NAV at the price of the underlying. And if it's trading at a 40% premium, the shares, they just collect that difference. And so it was basically free money. Exactly. And, it was free money. That's, yeah, a, that's a good could, way of thinking about it. Right. And you could see um, a lot of these institutional investors did this. Um, and BlockFi and Three Arrows Capital were some of the biggest ones. They were some of the biggest holders of GBTC for, for, uh, at one point in 2021 because they were putting on this trade and they're just rolling it every six months. Exactly. Um, and you can accumulate if you're if you're doing 40, you know, let's say not maybe not that the high point was 40%. Let's say you're doing 25, 30% uh, twice a year, you can compound returns very, very quickly uh, and, and make a lot of money. So these these uh, hedge funds and institutions that recognize this trade uh, were making a lot of money in the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it was a huge source of profit for Three Arrows Capital. It was their main driver of profit. Um, yeah, and also, but let's talk about how there was also incentives for DCG, Genesis, and Grayscale, really, um, to put on this trade. Because what happened was Three Arrows Capital and others started to put on this trade with leverage. And where, yeah. did they get, where did they get the leverage from, VJ? <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is a good reminder. We need to step back a little bit again. And so we've been talking about Grayscale. And Grayscale offered this Bitcoin fund, which was GBTC. Uh, Grayscale was one of the portfolio companies of DCG, this parent company, Digital Currency Group, that was created by Barry Silbert. Actually, Barry Silbert created the main players in this story, Digital Currency Group which is a parent company, uh, which he created to kind of mimic the corporate structure of Berkshire Hathaway. So it would be this holding company that held um, uh, ownership shares in a lot of companies in in the the crypto space. And uh, the other company that uh, was a portfolio company was Genesis. And Genesis, as we've mentioned previously, was a prime brokerage service, which meant they offered uh, derivatives trades, spot trading, and lending. And, and so the way Genesis worked is that they would borrow Bitcoins and dollars um, from investors and that they they would lend those Bitcoins out to people who are making trades on the market. And they would borrow at, say, 5%, 
and they would lend out at say seven or eight or nine percent and they would keep the spread and that they would um that would be their source of profit and they were enormously profitable uh in, in um especially in 2020 2021 they were making billions and billions of dollars and they had billions of dollars of assets under management so three arrows capital we were talking about this hedge fund which recognized this arbitrage trade they turbocharged this trade. They were not just trading their own capital. They were going out and borrowing Bitcoin uh, to make this trade, to, to add leverage to this trade and to make even more money. Uh, and who were they borrowing from? They were borrowing from Genesis. Uh, so Genesis, just to, to put this in context, was a sister company of Grayscale. Uh, so they're both, Grayscale and Genesis are both child companies of Digital Currency Group or DCG. So Three Arrows Capital is going to Genesis, borrowing Bitcoin, Bitcoins that come from Bitcoin holders uh, who wanted to earn interest on their Bitcoin. And then it's going uh, and using those Bitcoins to supercharge this arbitrage trade. Now, there's, there's a huge conflict of interest here. <laughs> you can, you know, see it pretty clearly there's these sister companies and by lending bitcoins that come from bitcoin holders to hedge funds that then trade this arbitrage trade those bitcoins flow into grayscale and because grayscale was a trust and not an etf those bitcoins go into grayscale but they can never come out and they're stuck at grayscale mm -hmm. so this is how Grayscale got an enormous number of Bitcoins under management. So GBTC, their fund, has over 600,000 Bitcoins under management. And, and Grayscale charges a, a ludicrous 2% a year fee for doing essentially nothing. There's very little work involved in managing this fund. It's just custodying those Bitcoins and not moving them ever. They charge 2% on over 600,000 Bitcoins. So Grayscale is making 12,000 Bitcoins a year in fees. So you can see already there's kind of a conflict of interest here where as a parent company, DCG, you want your child company, Genesis, lending to players in the space that are doing this arbitrage trade because the arbitrage trade is pushing Bitcoins into Grayscale. And the more grayscale more bitcoins that grayscale has under management the more fees they collect and those fees go up to dcg now i just want to back up one more step why did this trade exist at all well who is the source of this big profit opportunity it was that existed in the market it's the sec the sec massively failed investors by not providing them a safe easy etf mechanism for getting exposure to Bitcoins. Right. All investors had was this crappy trust structure, which couldn't properly track the price of Bitcoin. And because there was so much pent up demand in the investing public <clears throat> to get exposure to Bitcoin, it created this premium that could not be um, fixed by the regular ETF market me mechanism. <clears throat> so ultimately, the fact that this trade occurred and that it spawned so much gambling and leveraged trading is the fault of the SEC. That's where we need to go back. Of course, the, the 
the leverage and the eventual fraud that happened can be blamed on the individual players who uh, were responsible for that. But the fact that this opportunity was created is entirely um, on the SEC. Yep. If the if the ETF conversion would have been approved, premium trade wouldn't have existed in the first place. If that didn't exist, these firms wouldn't have grown to the size they had. The leverage wouldn't have got to the size it had, and that mess could have been avoided. Um, I think it's important to talk about how when you have a parent company and you have these subsidiaries, the idea is that they have separate management teams and that they don't work together. Um, but in this case, it seems like there was a lot of, let's say, overlap between the management decisions uh, that was kind of revealed in the NYAG's lawsuit uh, against these, uh, these entities and these individuals. Um, for instance, Barry Silbert was the CEO of Grayscale up until January 2021. Also, Genesis was the only authorized participant of the Grayscale Trust up until October 2022, which means they were in charge of issuing new shares and only them um, and kind of selling them to investors. And so that was cut off in October 2022 when Grayscale bought that in-house. And it's all about incentives here. And I think that's what we were talking about. See, Genesis makes money the more loans it gives out. And if they get loans and they, they know that these figures are going to put on this arbitrage trades with Grayscale, they know that that Bitcoin is going to eventually end up in the Grayscale Trust, which all benefits DCG, the parent company. And so they're kind of working together where Genesis is feeding the leverage into Grayscale. That Bitcoin goes into Grayscale. Like you said, it doesn't come out. It increases the assets under management, increases the fee that DCG ultimately gets um, and so that was their big cash cow as well. And I think it's just so important to talk about how that was, they're supposed to function separately. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and Barry publicly claimed several times that these companies acted in an arm's length manner. And what, what he was claiming is that these companies, when they interacted with each other, essentially did it as if they were not sister companies that was just interacting with any other company in, in the space, which is just patently false. Um, the, there was information available to them that wouldn't have been available to other companies. For example, uh, Sonashine was aware of the business relationship between Genesis and 3RS Capital. He knew that there was these, these loans happening, these enormous loans that were increasing the assets under management of his company. He, he, signed, he signed that uh, loan, he, right? he signed a document that showed that he knew about this business relationship. Uh, and just to add to what you were saying before, Barry Silbert was on the board of Genesis Trading, um, I believe, until July 2022. Uh, so he was on the board of Genesis Trading from 2013 to 2022, mid-2022. Genesis, I should also say, Genesis is an interesting company. It actually had two internal companies, like legally there were two parts to genesis anyone who used genesis may not have known this they it looked like one company but there was genesis trading and there was genesis lending and although they were legally separate companies they shared office space till i believe uh in 2022 and when the board was created uh it was the two of the three members were from DCG. So it was definitely not an independent company. It was not running independently. 
Yeah. I was certainly tied to its uh, um, namesake, Genesis Trading, which was controlled by Barry. So this is so incestuous when you think about how these companies were interacting with each other. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And like um, the one thing that I found was shocking was so Genesis, they always said that they were like over collateralized. So they basically had some of their clients basically would have to post like above 100% collateral. Um, but what was discovered was that uh, there was the same rules for everybody, right? So like 3O's Capital, for instance, was able to borrow an obscene amount of uh, $2.3 billion to put on various trades. Um, and the collateral that they received, not only was it under collateralized, but it was like GBC, GBTC itself, as well as uh, like coins, like AVEX token and NEAR token. And so they, they accepted these coins that eventually lost like 80% of their value in the bear market. That was the collateral they accepted from these larger head funds, whereas other clients had to put over collateralized for their loans. Um, and then also DCG itself took on loans from Genesis and they were completely unsecured. So they didn't have to put up any collateral. And so there wasn't the same yeah. rules for different players. Um, and when Zero's yeah. Capital did that, uh, it was so such poor risk management. It's almost, it's crazy to think about how they gave one counterparty a loan of that size with that collateral. And the one little detail that I'll say as well is uh, basically when 3O's Capital put on this GBTC arbitrage trade, uh, they basically had to hold those shares for six months and they would be a liquid. Um, but what they did was that's what the collateral they used to get even more Bitcoin to put on the trade more. And so Genesis just accepted the GBTC back as collateral. Now that's a problem because Genesis is an affiliate. And so what that means is there's a rule called rule 144A, which, which makes that position extremely illiquid because they couldn't sell all that for cash because there's a rule in place where if you're an affiliate, you can only sell about 1% of the average weekly trading volume or, or I think 1% one to 1% of the outstanding shares, either or, um, at a time every month so like or every quarter. So they're completely restricted from selling those GBTC shares that they received as collateral. Um, yeah, that's an incredibly important point that you just made there. And this is not the kind of risk management you'd ever do unless there was an underlying conflict of interest. You would not, if you're making a loan to someone and you're taking collateral to protect that loan, you would want that collateral to be deeply liquid and you would want the ability to sell it. If you take GBTC as collateral and you have uh, a, a regulatory uh, prevention for selling that capital, you put yourself in an enormous risk. Uh, and that's what happened. Um, they lent over $2 billion to Three Arrows Capital. Uh, and maybe we can continue the, the story about how what happened with Three Arrows Capital. Um, yep. Let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. Yeah. So this trade existed for several years, this premium trade. Uh, but eventually it, it went away. And I think it was in 2021. I can't remember. I have it in my thread. I don't remember the it's, exact. It's, I, I say it's, it's February, I think, 24th is when the premium disappeared. Yeah, I have it. Uh, <laughs> it's a day that will live in infamy. That's what yeah, I, I have it here. February 23rd, 2021. That was the first time that the premium on GPTC went away. And it's it's never come back. And in, in fact, the premium turned into a discount and got as, as low as 48% at one point, which meant that you went from 
the fund being worth more than its underlying assets to being worth less than its underlying assets. So at one point, it was only worth half of its underlying assets. So firstly, why did that happen? It happened because people got new ways to get exposure to Bitcoin in their brokerage accounts. So for instance, you could buy a MicroStrategy. MicroStrategy is almost like an ETF uh, on Bitcoin because the company is the actual functioning business of MicroStrategy is worth fairly small amount relative to the amount of Bitcoin that they hold. Uh, there were futures ETFs. It just became easier to go and buy Bitcoin. You could do yeah, it. Yeah, there was a, also the, bond, the, the Toronto bond, Stock right? Exchange like spot Bitcoin ETF, as well as different Bitcoin trusts with a smaller fees. They all hit the market, whereas GBTC kind of was the only game in town for a long time. Now yeah. there's a lot of different options for people that were really attractive. Totally. So there are all these different options that people could use to get exposure to Bitcoin from their brokerage account. Ironically, even though the people had these options and there was competition for um, GBTC, that doesn't change their assets under management. They still have those assets under management. Those Bitcoins are locked in GBTC. They, there's no way for them to get out. They're trapped. It's like a Hotel California. You go in and you can never come out. Um, so anyway, so the, 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 this is the part of the story. The GBTC premium disappears on February uh, 23rd, 2021. And so this massive cash cow that all these institutions like 3 Arrows Capital were using, this arbitrage trade essentially disappears overnight. And so they have to look for other uh, profit opportunities. And 3 Arrows Capital went and found another one, which was the, uh, the Terra Luna carry trade. I don't want to go into too much to the details of how that yeah. carry trade worked. Suffice to say, it was kind of this stable coin, which didn't really need any external intervention, but it was kind of a Ponzi scheme. Um, and in 20, uh, 2022, that imploded in a series, in a matter of days, the entire ecosystem, this stable coin went from having a value of I think it was 40 billion, something large like that. To yeah, wiped it out. Wiped it out over over three or four days. Um, and three three arrows capital was deep in this trade. Well, they, um, yeah, they they had to replace the GPTC trade, right? They, they had to replace they had, like, they're, yeah, they, And they just went to a riskier, you know, yield. And like, that was the whole thing with Terra Luna. You know, you can get free 20%. And Terra Luna was like, oh, oh great. We, we can replace the GPTC trade with this. And then it blew up in their face. And they took yeah. they took leverage from everyone to put out like Voyager, um, Celsius, obviously Genesis, what we talked about. And once that Luna trade blew up on Three Arrows Capital, they brought down all these lenders with them. Like that's kind of what I found, um, which was just crazy, right? Yeah, absolutely. So Three Arrows lost the profit from the GBTC trade and they went over to the Terra Luna trade. And then that imploded over a series of days in uh, 20, early 2022. And so Three Arrows Capital became insolvent. They what were wiped out. They lost essentially all of the money, I think, that they had under management, except for some assets, like they bought a yacht or something like that. <laughs> um, they, they, they lost almost all the assets that they had under management. And if you were Genesis who lent to Three Arrows Capital, if you had good risk management, you would have good collateral in your possession and you would see that this trade is failing, you would take possession of the collateral and you would be fine. That's how good lending and risk management works. They had awful risk management. And you highlighted this, Sam, when you said they took as collateral something they couldn't even sell. 
right. just it risk management one on one. You do not do that. Uh, so the failure of Three Arrows Capital put a huge hole in the Genesis balance sheet of one point two billion dollars, and this is where the fraud begins. So Genesis now has a hole on its balance sheet of one point two billion dollars, and it's it's borrowed money from all kinds of people, Bitcoin holders, institutions. Lots of different people gave them money. Gemini gave them money. Gemini had a um, Gemini is an exchange which had something called an earn program, and you would put your bitcoins in that earn program, and you would earn an interest rate. Had where where did this interest rate come from? They were just giving those bitcoins to Genesis, and Genesis was providing them the interest on this. So that that caught up retail investors because Gemini had a lot of retail customers. So. If at this point, after Three Arrows Capital blew up and Genesis has a $1.2 billion hole in its balance sheet, if its um, lenders, the people who had lent capital to Genesis, said, I want my Bitcoin back, they would not have been able to provide Bitcoin back. They didn't have the capital to meet all of the redemption requests if those came in. So what did they do? They hatched a plan. The CEO of uh, Genesis, Michael Morrow, and Barry Silbert, the CEO of his parent company, DCG, hatched a plan together. And they created this thing called a promissory note where DCG said, we will fix this problem, this big hole that you have in your balance sheet by giving you an asset that covers the hole. Uh, and it was the, the asset that they gave uh, Genesis had a face value of $1.1 billion. But the big caveat was that it wasn't really worth $1.1 billion. It was this kind of completely illiquid asset, which could only be redeemed after a decade and paid below market interest rates. I think the interest rate on this promissory note was like 1% or something mm -hmm. like that. Yep. So if you take something that can only be re redeemed for a decade and has a very low interest rate, what's its actual worth? It's worth very little. Uh, but the CEO of Genesis goes on Twitter and claims we have thoughtfully mitigated the problems in this three arrows, you know, uh, implosion. And we are in a good position to continue servicing our loans. Uh, and the, the spot trading business at Genesis is also fine. And he went out and he, and he reassured the public and lenders to Genesis, hey, don't worry, everything is okay. This is totally fine. And so they didn't face a run uh, in, in June, 2022, they, they didn't have this mass exodus of lenders and clients to their business saying, I don't want to keep my money with you guys anymore because I don't trust you. Their business continued to function. Mm -hmm. What happened was they papered over this loss. There's a huge hole in their balance sheet of over a billion dollars and they, they papered it over. And the thing that's most shocking, this is definitely fraudulent behavior to, to uh, paper over a loss like this and go out in public and tell people everything is fine. The thing that's really shocking is immediately after papering over this loss with their parent company, with Barry Silbert, DCG then borrows 18,000 Bitcoins out of Genesis. It takes all of their liquid assets. It gives them a piece of crap paper that does, isn't worth anything and then pulls out all of the... Bitcoin that Genesis has uh, on its balance sheet for itself to use uh, to do this carry trade. <laughs> it's, 
it's it's just shocking that they were that they would think this was okay that they could do this. Um, yeah, they were essentially using Genesis as their piggy bank. DCG was using Genesis as their piggy bank, um, and they yeah. did it in a fraudulent way because they were telling the public everything's okay. We've given them, we've filled the the hole in the balance sheet. They have enough capital to operate. And behind the scenes, they're taking all of the liquid assets out of Genesis. Yeah, so, I mean, alleged fraud. Let's just say that, alleged fraud. Yes. Uh, <laughs> they have not been convicted, but this looks incredibly bad. Yeah, and so like, just like, yeah, let me like try to summarize a little bit. So, Three Arrows Capital blows the $1.1 out. Um, now, they do the $1.1 promissory note. And like you said, it's not paid back until 10 years later. It's very illiquid but it's like an accounting trick because they counted it as a current asset on their balance sheet. And that's when a current as current assets defined as one that can be reduced to cash within a year. That's what the accounting uh, you know, definition of a current asset is. And that obviously wasn't, it, it's not till 10 years later. Um, and so it was a balance sheet problem. Like it was an equity problem for them. Like it got blown out, but they were pretending like it was just a liquidity problem. That hey, all these people needed money. You know, they got spooked during three O's capital. There's a lot of withdrawals, um, but we have a lot of loans that are longer, and we just a liquidity mismatch here because you know it doesn't. Our loans don't mature till six months and twelve months, so we just don't have the liquidity right now. Uh, but but our balance sheet's fine. But really, it was just papered over by this one point one promissory note. And just to recap what you said, it's so important because the parent company, as they were going through a so called liquidity problem. Um, they were sucking liquidity out. So they were basically taking on these big loans that were unsecured. Uh, so DCG was taking $100 million loans and, and even more, like you said, 18,000 Bitcoin. And they kept extending it, like they weren't paying them back. Um, and so just when Genesis needed more liquidity, their own parent company was sucking the liquidity out of them, which just makes you raise your eyebrows and be like, what is going on here? Yeah, it's really shocking when you think about what happened. Uh but so this is June 2022. They, they paper over this loss. But the stuff that you're talking about happened a little bit later. Uh, so they keep operating and they keep, continue to operate until uh, November 2022 when the FTX collapse happens. And the story yeah. there is interesting in and of itself. But I think people are a bit more familiar with that story. Uh, you know, the Coindesk article comes out that um, Alameda has all these FTT tokens on its balance sheet and people panic, users of FTX panic, they withdraw their funds and within a few days FTX goes out of business and goes into bankruptcy. This also triggered a panic uh, at Gemini. Gemini is another exchange. It triggered a panic across the entire ecosystem. People wanted their Bitcoins off exchanges because they're like FTX, this is the biggest, safest exchange. It's gone bankrupt. Why would I keep my Bitcoins on an exchange? Which is a great question for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Do not keep your Bitcoins on exchange. If you have not learned from this lesson by now, then I, I, I don't know how to save you. Uh, so FTX goes bankrupt. Uh, customers of Gemini panic. They try and pull their Bitcoins out of the EARN program. And this is what finally triggers the collapse of Genesis. Genesis does not have assets on hand liquidity to meet customer withdrawals uh, because as you pointed out Sam DCG pulled all the liquidity out of Genesis um, and they they were they were insolvent from June it's just that they 
papered it over and kind of tried to convince the public they were fine. But when Gen Gemini's customers pulled money from the EARN program, Gemini had to go to uh, Genesis. Genesis and say, we, we need to end this EARN program. We need to get all our Bitcoin back. And that that's when uh, Genesis was forced to pause withdrawals. They froze withdrawals in mid-November, I think November 16th. And then two months later, they had to de declare bankruptcy because it became clear eventually that uh, they didn't have the liquidity, uh, sorry, they didn't have the funds. It wasn't just the liquidity, they were insolvent. They didn't have the funds to pay back their loans. And it became clear to people who lent money to Genesis that they were only gonna get a fraction of their assets back, unfortunately, a fraction of their Bitcoins back. Yeah. It's just like even like the counterparty uh, risk that we talked about, the poor risk management. The reason they uh, FTX affected Genesis so much too is uh, I think 60% of their loan book was concentrated to Alameda and most of the collateral was the FTT token. So that's the kind of risk management we're talking about with Genesis. And I, I just have to go back to this because it's like DCG, it's, it's, you know, subsidiary is going through a liquidity event in the in the wake in like weeks after three arrow capitals downfall and then they basically genesis lends dcg eighteen thousand bitcoin worth 355 million dollars and this is after dcg failed to repay hundreds of millions of dollars worth of loans they took out an additional eighteen thousand dollars eighteen thousand bitcoin and then during the ftt ftx collapse dcg partially repaid that loan of 18,000 Bitcoin with shares of GPTC. So that just worsens the liquidity problem because like I said, like uh, basically DCG took Bitcoin and gave back GBTC to Genesis and Genesis can't sell the GBTC because of the securities rules. <laughs> so they just worsened the liquidity issue even more right when FTX was collapsing. Um, and you just have to think like, why? Like, why did, did they have to do that? And it, I, to me, it's only because DCG needed it. Like, they couldn't repay back their loans that they were taking back from Genesis. Yeah. Um, unsecured loans. And they just kept extending and extending. And despite Genesis going through troubles of its own, um, DCG was just basically robbing the piggy bank, so to speak, um, because they could at these really favorable market rates that were under the market rates, actually. I think you really nailed it, Sam. The question is why in June, when uh, when Genesis became insolvent, why did they not just declare bankruptcy? They, that would be the correct thing to do. You're insolvent, you can't pay back loans if people want to withdraw their funds, you declare bankruptcy. Uh, the reason they didn't declare bankruptcy is because that would have caught DCG up in this whole mess because DCG had loans from Genesis. So instead of uh, doing the right thing, they papered over the loss, they tried to reassure the public, and then they drained all of the liquidity out of Genesis and up into DCG. Uh, just absolutely shocking uh, behavior. And the fact that this hasn't received as much attention uh, as the FTX case, I think is much more important because Genesis played a central role in the market. I think mm -hmm. this has been a huge failure of the financial media. Uh, yeah. but both both because the, the hard questions weren't asked. Uh, this was true of FTX um, too, where people just kind of bought whatever Sam Bankman-Fried said. But I think it's even worse in the case of Genesis and DCG because 
They played such a central role in the market. It's been clear since the New York Attorney General filed this suit uh, that something very um, untoward was happening at, at these companies. And you could probably also tell by other signs, if you were paying really close attention, Michael Morrow was forced out of Genesis or he jumped ship a little bit after they did this kind of fraudulent promissory note. And then a few months later, Larry Summers, who was an uh, advisor to the company, also you know, left the company, they probably had an inkling that this was not going to end well, that something very fishy was going on. And of course, now Michael Morrow, the former CEO of Genesis, has been caught up in this lawsuit by the New York Attorney General. Uh, the financial media really needs to look at itself and have some accountability and say, we were not asking hard questions uh, and we were not following up. It, it's really only independent journalists um, who are not working for any of these big corporations who've been asking the hard questions and and poking and prodding and saying, is this legit? Are you actually solvent? Um, can you pay back your loans? Uh, and, and so this is this is a real problem for the public in general. They trusted these companies. Genesis was always thought to be the adult in the room. This was the 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 general you know um, consensus in, in the market was that. You know, there are all these shady companies out there, Celsius and Voyager, uh, run by shady people. But don't worry, Genesis is the adult in the room. They have good risk management. They know what they're doing. They only uh, lend and borrow from large institutions. But the truth is they were every bit as degenerate as any one of these other companies that gambled user funds. And so I think they need to face the same level of scrutiny and accountability and ultimately punishment that any of these other companies faced. I, if you look at the evidence, which I think is damning, Barry Silbert should be in jail with Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, how this plays out, whether it becomes a criminal case or not, is going to be very interesting over the next few months because the complaint from the New York Attorney General is civil, uh, which means she, she is seeking damages. Letitia James is the uh, Attorney General there. She's seeking damages and she's also seeking to ban... DCG and Gemini operating in New York, which is essentially a death sentence mm -hmm. for those companies. If they cannot operate in New York, they're gonna they they, they will die. Uh, but the question is whether the Southern District or the Eastern District of New York follow up with criminal charges. I expect they will. I, I think the number of people who have been harmed by this over I think it's over two hundred thousand regular retail investors have faced loss of funds. The losses are enormous. Uh, a lot of people have been caught up and affected by this. Oh yeah, I think this, I think this case is going to go criminal, and I think there's a good chance that Barry Silbert and Michael Morrow end up in prison. Well, even in the Gemini Earn program alone, there was 232,000 investors with more than one billion in losses right now. It's currently, I think the the case is now going to go to litigation. Um, they were trying to come out with some deal. But now it's likely to go to litigation. But I agree with just like if you look at the, the tweets and how they publicly represented their financial condition as healthy and that they filled the structural hole when now we know that wasn't the case. Um, you know, that's where I kind of, you know, look at this and I'm like, OK, that's that wasn't true. Like just on a factual basis now that we know that FTX collapsed, um, they weren't healthy, they didn't have a healthy balance sheet. Um, that was falsely represented publicly to reassure investors to prevent some kind of bank run from happening. And this is usually what happens when there's, there's 
fraudulent activity, it's when people are desperate, right? When things are falling apart, you know, maybe these are good people, but you know, you just kind of panic and you, you know, you, instead of doing the right thing, the hard thing, uh, you try to keep it going. You try to extend and pretend. And that, that's yeah, that. it's a question of moral compass. I, my, my view is whether you have a moral compass or not is those at those points where you have to make really hard decisions. If you don't have a moral compass, then you're just going to do the thing which is easier. Right. And that's what happened with, with Sam Bankman-Fried. And I think you're absolutely correct about these statements they were making. I think the statements that Michael Morrow was making, you can, they're still public still and available. On yeah, you Twitter, yeah, you can find them in my tweet thread, but uh, they're the equivalent of Sam Bankman-Fried saying FTX is fine, assets are fine. No, no, they definitely mm -hmm. were not fine. And uh, Michael Morrow saying that we have thoughtfully mitigated the um, losses of one of our partners, also false. You did not thoughtfully mitigate it. You papered over the losses. Um, you did not in inject new real capital into Genesis to make yourself solvent. Uh, you you hid the losses and then you gave all of your liquidity to your parent company. Uh, so yeah, th this is total misrepresentation. It's the kind of thing which is a, a felony. Yeah. Um... And now, you know, these creditors, I mean, it's just a mess to be have your Bitcoin tied up in these bankruptcy proceedings. Uh, they can last such a long time. They're expensive. Um, you know, one of those independent journalists that's done a good job is Laura Shin. I don't know if you listened to that one with the two Genesis creditors, but I happened to listen to it. Very fascinating. And one of the things I found most fascinating was there's a lot of debate of how they'll get paid out because they lent them a Bitcoin or, you know, 10 yeah. Bitcoins, whatever it was. And when Genesis declared bankruptcy, the price of Bitcoin was around 21,000. And so will they get paid back in cash or will they receive a Bitcoin? Because obviously Bitcoin's ripping right now to 37,000. And the, the Genesis creditors are going, no, we want Bitcoin. We gave, back, we gave you Bitcoin. We want Bitcoin back because of the price appreciation. You know, we don't want $21,000 in cash. And to me, it's just like, this is exactly why self-custody is so important. You can't trust your Bitcoin with these entities who turn around and bet with it and had terrible risk management. I mean, now they just have to basically hope that they'll get paid in kind in, in Bitcoin. Uh, you know, probably not one to one after all these bankruptcies happen. And it's just it's just a mess. Yeah, that's a, such an important point that I don't think many people understand. And I think it's a lesson for anyone who's considering lending Bitcoin, if the company that uh, you're lending to eventually goes bankrupt, uh, when they file for bankruptcy, your claim is dollarized, which means that you can only claim the dollar value of your Bitcoin at the time. So Genesis went bankrupt, like you say, uh, Sam, when Bitcoin was around $20,000. It's now $37,000. So Genesis can actually claim, if they pay back people $21,000, that they, they've settled that claim and they don't need to give back the Bitcoin, even though the contracts with their lenders was uh, for returning Bitcoin. People lent Bitcoin with the expectation they would get Bitcoin back because if you don't get your Bitcoin back, you create this enormous taxable event. It's, a, it's the equivalent of having sold your Bitcoin. So no one wanted to do that. So now in bankruptcy, the really shocking thing Sam, I, I don't think many people fully appreciate this, is it might be possible for Genesis to become solvent again, which is just unbelievable yeah. and uh, nauseating to think that they had 
GBTC on their balance sheet. They had a lot of GBTC on their balance sheet. Uh, and GBTC is going up and could potentially be approved by the SEC as uh, as an ETF, which I really think the SEC should not do that, given the amount of fraud that was involved with these sibling companies and how the assets under management in GBTC was inflated so much because of the lending from Genesis. But so Genesis has GBTC on their balance sheet. It's gone up enormously over the last few months. But the claim value of the people who lent Bitcoin to Genesis is pegged at this dollar value of $21,000. So Genesis could conceivably, if Bitcoin continues to go up, say, hey, we've paid back all these lenders. We paid them back $21,000 per Bitcoin. Uh, And now we have all this excess value because GBTC has increased so much. They could go back and start functioning as a business. And having screwed all of these people, say you lent 10 Bitcoin, in fact, what you get back from Genesis is the equivalent of three Bitcoin in dollars. Uh, imagine that, how painful that is. And a, a similar thing happened in the Mt. Gox bankruptcy in, in 2013, where Mark Capellas uh, uh, had those like 600,000 Bitcoin in the bankruptcy and people's claim value was um pegged at the value when the bankruptcy happened then bitcoin went up you know a thousand x after that mark capellas could have said oh i'll just pay you back the the dollar or yen value of your claims from when the bankruptcy happened and kept all the other bitcoins hundreds of thousands of bitcoins but he was not so insane to try and do something like that he said no i will give back everything because you know, these are the these are the assets that really belonged to the creditors of Mount Gox. I'm going to give it all back, which is pretty smart, right? If, yeah. if he had kept those bitcoins, he would not have been able to live uh, feeling safe for the rest of his life. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see what Genesis does in this case. Are they going to um, try and keep the excess value that really belongs to creditors, or are they going to say, "Hey, this is not ours. This is this is definitely yours," even though the U.S. bankruptcy law. Uh, pegs the value that you can claim to when the bankruptcy was filed, these assets should go back to you. Uh, it, it'll be really interesting to see how they handle this. Yeah, if there's one entities or entities that benefit from this price rise that we've experienced over the last couple of months, it's DCG and Genesis, who own a lot of GBTC. You know, that's what DCG was borrowing money from Genesis that they haven't paid back their loans yet, but they were just buying GBTC a lot of it with it uh, because the discount was falling out so much in 2022 and uh, they wanted to improve that. So they were trying to basically go in there and buy GBTC to stop the free fall of the discount because it, it's not attractive to investors to buy something at a massive discount unless you're doing some kind of arbitrage trade. Um, and so, they basically own almost 10% of the GBTC at one point, DCG. And so they benefited from it going up 200 plus percent this year at a time when there's a lot of expenses going on for them legally. And you just have to think in terms of this ETF conversion, whether that's going to happen. Um, like I got my thoughts, but you said that you don't think the SEC should do it. What, what do you peg the odds that it will though? Like how will this play out in terms of the odds of the GPTC getting converted because obviously Grayscale just won that lawsuit against the SEC. Um, but on the other side of the fence, you have DCG currently in this whole separate civil lawsuit, the parent company of Grayscale. 
Um, do you see that affecting things in terms of Grayscale's approval? I think there's a pretty good chance that an ETF will be approved. I can't speak to exactly how the SEC is going to treat Grayscale and the approval of GBTC. Uh, that you know, Grayscale could argue, hey, we were a sister company, we're not involved in that. But really, that's nonsense if you look at how closely tied these companies were. I think if the SEC does its job, it will approve the other ETFs, but will block Grayscale's ETF. And we'll say there was there's too much, um, there's too much of a, a, a pull over this whole business here because of the amount of inter interactions between these companies, the assets under management coming from loans that were fraudulent. Um, we need to see how these uh, um, how the litigation against DCG plays out before we'll even consider approving uh, GBTC. I I hope they don't approve GBDC. I think that would be really a really bad sign to the market and to the public in general that it's okay to get a, get away with fraud and to build up this huge business based on fraud. Uh, hmm. I hope they I, I do hope they approve some of the other ETFs, but I think given how many people have been harmed in this massive mess that was caused by DCG and Genesis and how it benefited Grayscale, I really think they should be careful about approving uh, the ETF for, for Grayscale. Yeah, it's important to note that there's always like real victims to these white collar crimes. And, you know, my heart goes out to those those investors right now that has their funds and their savings trapped in these things. Uh, you know, Genesis might benefit from the price appreciation. and um, But I don't see how anybody trusts Genesis Capital again after this. You know, maybe the trading arm survives. Uh yeah. I think it's shut down. I think it shut it down. It is shut down. Yeah. And I don't know if Gemini the same thing. Like I don't know how you trust it. You know, we didn't even get into Gemini, but there was a lot yeah. of uh negligence there, let's say, and, and kind of misrepresentation. Yeah, I can't comment about Gemini, Sam. Um I know we're getting close to the end of the interview, but um Gemini had a sense that the credit quality of Genesis was pretty poor. Yeah. And they Triple knew it C, early right? Triple C, they, they rated Genesis as Triple C, and they wanted to get out of this earn program. They were like, this is this is kind of scary. They don't have a good credit rating based on the loans that they're making and based on their uh, portfolio. Um, so they went to uh, Genesis and wanted to pull out. But Barry had a meeting with the Winklevi twins to reassure them that you know, no, it's okay. But also you can't really pull out because we don't have the funds to pull out, mm. to allow you to pull out. So they kind of had some inside information of what was going on. And this is why they've been pulled into this uh, New York Attorney General uh, civil suit because the Attorney General is, is alleging that they knew enough that they could have protected their customers and pulled out and made those customers whole, but they didn't. So this is really the source of why so many people, so many retail customers have been burnt by Genesis is Gemini's earn program brought all of their capital over to Genesis. Yeah. And it was the only counterparty they used for that entire earn program. And they, they kind of knew about this. They knew about the concentration of loans at Genesis. They rated it a triple C, which I think meant that in an economic downturn, it had like a 40 to 50% chance of defaulting in terms of Genesis and Gemini knew that, but they didn't disclose those risks to the public or their customers. They, yeah. um, you know, publicly said it was liquid and safe and they did due diligence. And at the same time, 
in, in meetings, they were talking about how they would protect themselves. And they, there was even like risks, uh, you know, people who worked at the risk department in Gemini removing their own funds, their personal funds from um, the EARN program while they were saying something very different to their clients. So, yeah. Can I, can I make one extra point related to yeah, this? Go, man, go, there's no, you don't have a hard stop or anything. You can just yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's another wrinkle in this, which was uh, the loans that Gemini was making using its customer funds from the EARN program to Genesis. They took collateral uh, for those loans. And guess what the collateral was? GBTC. GBTC. They took GBTC <laughs> as collateral. And interestingly, they took possession uh, they foreclosed on a loan um, to Genesis by taking possession of that GBTC, but they never used that GBTC to pay back customers in the EARN program. Hmm. Uh, and the GBTC, when they they said they foreclosed on it, was worth $250 million or so. It's currently worth, I think, somewhere around 800 or $850 million. And the claims from the Gemini EARN customers are worth about a billion. So... Gemini already has essentially enough to make their customers whole. And so this is a big question. Like you, you had collateral, you took possession of the collateral from Genesis. That collateral is now worth a lot. Uh, you could use that to pay back your own customers. Why have you not done that? Mm. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting question. And I'm sure people who were customers of Gemini who had money in the own program are wondering the same thing. When are you going to pay us back? You have the ability to pay us back, but you have not done so yet. Yeah, that's I mean, it's very interesting. I wonder if, what that reason is. I the one one thing I think about in terms of the ETF and and the con- likelihood of a conversion um, is you know DCG could need some liquidity to pay for all this. Obviously, they're not in great financial shape. I mean, I don't know what their balance sheet looks like, but the fact that they couldn't pay back any of these loans, they essentially defaulted to Genesis, you know, over $600 million worth of loans to them. They couldn't pay it back or they didn't want to one or the other. Um, and so if they need liquidity, maybe, maybe they sell the trust. Maybe they sell the trust to another sponsor. And why, why didn't they do that? That's a, that's another great question, Sam. They, 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 they have the assets, they have valuable assets that could pay back the people who are owed their money. Yeah. But, instead of paying back the loans, the way you pay back the loans is to say, I have these assets like Grayscale that are worth something. I will sell the assets and I'll use that liquidity to pay people back. They don't want to do that. They want to hold on to Grayscale because they consider it like their crown jewel, their cash cow. It is. (laughs) It definitely is. So they don't want to get rid of it. So instead of like paying back the people they owe, they defaulted on their loans. They had loans due in May and Barry Silbert, you know, had a lot of bravado to go on Twitter and say, we've never missed a loan payment. When, when the Winklevi said, you know, you owe us money and it's coming due in May. It was like DCG has never missed a loan payment. Well, they missed that one. They defaulted on that loan. And um, yeah, they- unfortunately Genesis is in bankruptcy and that money is owed to Genesis and then to Genesis customers. Uh, but Genesis in the bankruptcy process could have, uh, filed a motion to say, give us that money now. We need that money now. Mm-hmm. Instead, what they did was they gave DCG forbearance. They gave them even more time to pay back their loans. And so this, this conflict of interest seems to have continued even into bankruptcy, 
which is even more shocking because Genesis in bankruptcy has a fiduciary, a legal fiduciary duty to pay back its creditors. Yet even in bankruptcy, it's still doing stuff that's beneficial to its parent company and is harmful to its customers. Man. Yeah, I mean, it, it would make sense too if it was, you know, the trust was sold just because they need liquidity if they if they did that. But also... I could see a lot of people wanting that. I mean, 3% of Bitcoin's supply is locked up in that trust right now. It's very valuable. And right now they collect 2%. But say if one of these ETF uh, you know, sponsors, like a BlackRock, if they got this trust, it's like getting 600,000 plus Bitcoin um, that they could probably get a better market price. Because if they tried to buy that and see that ETF... Uh, you know, there's only like 1.7 bit million Bitcoin available on exchanges. If they go in there and try to buy hundreds of thousands of Bitcoin to see the ETF, they're going to jack up the cost basis on themselves. And so they want to yeah. find this like honeypot of 600,000 Bitcoin that they can just acquire in one fell swoop. And so it makes a lot of sense. And then if you're the SEC, well, you like that BlackRock is in charge of those Bitcoins rather than Grayscale with all this shady behavior. So maybe that is what leads to like a more likelihood of a conversion if it's under a different sponsor, more credible totally. sponsor with, with a BlackRock over Grayscale. The underlying point that you're making, which is, I think, very important, is that Grayscale is enormously valuable. It's worth billions and billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And DCG has that value under its control. If it wanted to pay back the loans and help make, uh, make the people who have suffered and lost funds uh, over the last year, make them whole, it could do so. It's choosing not to do so. Barry Silbert is choosing not to do so. Well, Barry said that there was a daisy chain of risk back in 2021, and uh, turned out he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> so he's at the end of the daisy chain. He's at the end of the daisy chain. Hopefully, that's the end of the daisy chain. It's been a wild couple of years of uh, you know interconnectedness, leverage, and contagion. Um, and it's kind of leads to the big dogs, so the, the genesis of the world and DCG. And we're still seeing it play out. You know, I have to say, like, DCG says that um, lawsuits without merit, uh, they haven't been proven guilty of any of these things. We're just kind of sharing what was publicly available information. Um, we're going to let the courts kind of decide these things. But um, certainly there's some shady intercompany loans going on, some conflicts of interests. Um, the incentives there just seem like, not good in terms of, um, you know, perpetrating these these more, uh, you know, shady shady behaviors. And I, I just we'll see what happens from it. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you if you could like leave the listeners with maybe like a one lesson or two that uh, you think they should take away from this whole debacle, maybe that's a good way that, for us to end it. I have three key takeaways from this debacle. Uh, one is the SEC creates um, really bad incentives in the market by not allowing an ETF to be crea created, uh, not giving a safe mechanism for retail investors to get exposure to Bitcoin. They created this huge premium on GBTC, and that ended up creating these you know, massive misalignments in the market. The second takeaway is that leverage kills. Uh, the, the premium trade would not have killed so many institutions if they'd done it without leverage. Uh, the fact that uh, Three Arrows Capital was borrowing for, from Genesis to turbocharge this trade was part of the reason why they failed. And my third takeaway is there's been a massive failure uh, in the financial media to, to really cover this 
and the FTX case and to just believe, to be so credulous to believe some of the statements coming from the CEOs without really pressing them. Uh, I, I think the media has failed as an institution in, in this financial space, especially in the, the kind of crypto space. Uh, we, we need to get away from a media which really um, celebrates access journalism and all they care about is getting the interview yep. as opposed to asking the questions that will help protect the public in general. 100%. The fourth takeaway I would just say is self-custody, your Bitcoin. Yeah. If this all felt like a yeah, this all felt like a huge web and confused you, well, guess what? You didn't have to worry about any of it if you just self custodied your Bitcoin. Uh, all these paper paper Bitcoin products and leverage, um, you know, if you just hold spot Bitcoin, there's no counterparty risk. You don't have to trust a Genesis to handle your Bitcoin, and that's why we kind of advocate for that so much because that's kind of a key part of Bitcoin's value proposition is self custody. Well. Um, DJ, thank you so much. This was really fun. Great having you back on the show. And um, if people want to follow your work, where, where, where can they find you? Uh, Twitter is probably the best best place. That's where you'll find this long thread that uh, I did on, on DCG and Genesis and the fraud that happened. It's real underscore VJ uh, on Twitter. Yep, and we'll uh, we'll probably throw that thread in the in the show notes for everyone if they want to check it out. Um, thanks for sharing your expertise, and you have yourself a wonderful rest of your birthday, my friend. Uh, thanks again for coming on Swan Signal Live. Thanks, Sam. Great seeing you. Well, guys, there you have it. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I would just keep your eyes on DCG. Keep it on um, the the court developments there because it's going to be interesting to see how that impacts the conversion of the GPTC into a spot Bitcoin ETF and who will be in control of those over 600,000 Bitcoin. Uh, maybe next year it'll be somebody different. Uh, so thanks again for VJ for coming on the show. And thank you to all you guys who tuned in and listened. Like, comment, post. Uh, let me know how uh, I can improve and what guests you want to come on the show next. Um, always appreciate to have you guys here. And lastly, this is your last chance uh, over the next couple of months to lock in these early bird tickets for Pacific Bitcoin 2024. You can get a full refund by February. So there's not much risk to doing it now. If you think you might go lock in those cheap prices now, um, it was an amazing time out in Santa Monica in October. Why not go hang out with a bunch of Bitcoiners? Pacific Bitcoin Festival 2024. Check it out. Go to the QR code. And that's it for this show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Swan Signal Live.